I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, as we begin to look at the scripture today that you have in your bulletin, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 38 and reading, I mean, going through verse 50. And we won't uh, have time to look over, read these verses. But I want you, it's a continuation of uh, Jesus and the Pharisees. The conflict is rising. The heat is getting hotter. And so in turn, Jesus has performed miracle after miracle for them. He has taught them the Sermon on the Mount, the truth. He has shared with them principle after principle, truth after truth, and they still reject. And so here we see that Jesus has the scribes and the Pharisees coming to him and saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You know, there, there was a story about um, a guy that was in a flood who died. He was, uh, the water began to overcome where he lived, so he went up on the second story, and then it continued to rise, and he went up in the attic, and it continued to rise, and then he climbed out the window, and on top of the roof, it continued to rise. And he prayed to God that God would send him help, a rescue. Well, in a little bit, some guys came by in a boat. They said, man, jump in. We'll take you to safety. He said, no, I prayed. God's going to send me some, a rescue. So later on, helicopter comes over. They holler down. They say, hey, we're going to drop a ladder. You climb up. We'll take you to safety. Now nah, God's going to take care of me. Well, then pretty soon the water rises and he drowns. He appears in heaven and he's before the Lord. He said, Lord, I just can't understand. I prayed in faith. I believed that you would send me a miraculous deliverance. And you didn't. Why didn't you answer me? I believed that you would do this, that you were a good God, that you were a God that that meant for me to be safe. And he said, well, I, I did send you rescue. Matter of fact, I sent two different times, but you refused. A boat and a helicopter. That's kind of like where the Pharisees are today. I mean, my goodness, there's been miracle after miracle after miracle. And they have related it to, or Jesus has related it to the Old Testament. And the Pharisees here have the audacity to ask for another sign. The crowd is growing. They're seeing what Jesus is doing. Also, they're seeing the conflict that's coming between the Pharisees and Jesus. This has drawn even a, a bigger crowd. And so in turn, we see that Jesus is met by them. And they're asking for another sign. So first of all, we see that 
there is a request from the Pharisees. And the request was a request that should not have even been asked. Here were teachers of the word. Here were uh, the scribes and the Pharisees who were supposed to have known the word of God and put the puzzle together little by little, but yet they refused to do so. So they asked for a sign. And God tells them what will occur. But before he does, we're going to look a little bit more so at their refusal. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. He lets us know why they did not receive this sign. You see, the Pharisees refused to accept the truth about Jesus Christ. You remember back in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 25, it says, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and the intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. In other words, their eyes have been blinded. Not because God intentionally blinded them, but because they refused to see the truth. They looked at themselves as the lawmakers and the law interpreters instead of sinners in need of salvation. And to do that, they needed to come as babes in Christ with a need. You see, they didn't see that as their refusal to receive this need, along with it came their inability to meet the need themselves. And so they say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now they weren't really looking for a sign. They had had signs given to them over and over again. They were just tempting the Lord. They were trying to politely appease the crowd, let them know outwardly that, hey, we're giving him every possible chance that he can have. But Jesus had already called them what they were, and that was a brood of vipers. In other words, they were evil in their heart. They were poisonous. They were being arrogant. And Jesus himself is the ultimate sign, standing before them. If they had put the dots together, if they had put the puzzle together, they could have placed him where he needed to be. In their heart. You know in John chapter 9. We have the, G, uh, we have the uh, uh, disciples getting confused. Uh, as they so often did. And other people did. But especially disciples. And they asked. Why is this man. Why was he born blind. And then Jesus. You know he heals him. But he says to them. He was born blind. In order that through him. The kingdom of God might be revealed. In other words, today the very purpose of his blindness has been made clear. And what is that? In healing people, he was telling the disciples, you see the power which God alone can do. And only he can do this. And so in turn, by this you can know him and know the kingdom of God. Now, All the evidence had already been shown 
to the Pharisees. I mean, there was word, there was deed, and there was the person, Jesus Christ. You see, those who obstinately refuse to believe, they'll continue to come up with an excuse over and over again. I mean, if you witness to a person and they're just wanting to tempt you by saying, well, what about this in the scriptures? What about that in the scriptures? Oh, this, this, is a, this contradicts that. All they're wanting to do is just refuse the gospel. They're not wanting to receive the gospel. Now, does that mean that we should give up on them? No, but it does mean that we should know their motive behind all of this. And so the ones who are asking Jesus for a sign, they're the ones who would not believe. They will not accept what was put before them. And that was the very person of Jesus Christ. What Jesus was showing was, it's not just the intelligence. The scribes and the Pharisees had the scripture before them. They were smart people. It was a disposition of the heart. And that's what is necessary for us to understand. They were wanting to cover their tracks by being kind and just giving Jesus every chance where they could say that they did later. But the disposition of the heart revealed everything. And then we see Jesus' response to the Pharisees. Look in verse 39. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign shall be given to it, but a sign of Jonah the prophet. An evil and adulterous generation. He's telling them that they had left their devotion to Yahweh. Their one and only God that they were to worship. And he gets right to the heart. He calls it an evil and adulterous generation. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. This is not talking about some idol worship in the sense of, uh, you know, some outward sign or outward thing. It was talking about an inward idol worship, worshiping themselves, sin in their heart. He tells them, and if, if they will not believe the scriptures, then you are certainly not going to believe any miracle that I might perform. I mean, it's kind of like Luke chapter 16. You remember the rich man and Lazarus? And you remember a rich man being in, in hell? And him saying, oh, well, you know, if you'll just send somebody back from the dead, then maybe my family will believe. And he said they wouldn't believe the prophets when they were there. Why will they believe a miracle like that? And so... Jesus is telling them, you have the word of God. You have what the prophets have said. You have what the prophets have said about the Messiah. But you won't believe. Why give you another miracle? Jesus points to Jonah and he basically says, look, if you will just simply remember the Old Testament, you'll know that the Messiah will be the one who will what? Be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's basically what he's telling them. He's giving them a future sign to look for. 
You see, he hasn't given up on them completely. He gives them every possible chance. He's even telling them what's going to happen in the future. He's letting his readers know that what is being said and what has happened by Jesus is evidence of what was taught in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. Just put the dots together. But since you're blinded, you blinded your eyes, you've chosen to remain blinded, there's going to be another sign. There will be a sign, the ultimate sign, that will occur, that will show your sinfulness, which you refuse to look at, your sinfulness, which you refuse to accept. And it will show the redemption that is provided that you must come through babes. Don't be wise. Don't think you're intelligent. Humble yourselves before God. And then he talks about the refusal of the nation and what the consequences are. He says in verse 41, The men of Nineveh shall stand up with the generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You remember him saying that earlier, but not Jonah? He said something greater than the temple is here. Wow. Something greater than the temple that where we come and commune with God, we, uh, we get with God and, and we meet with God and, and sacrifices are offer, uh, offered and, and we have fellowship, we're able to have fellowship with God. We meet God's demands temporarily for that time and God's presence is there and the high priest represents us. Something greater than that, yes, Jesus Christ who is God. Jesus Christ, who is a great high priest, who will die on the cross, be buried and raised again, so that you can come to God anytime through Christ. You see, he says, but something greater than Jonah is here. He says, you remember Jonah preached to the Ninevites. Jonah preached the word to the Ninevites. And he it was a great prophet, and, and these Ninevites repented. And believed. Well, something greater than Jonah is here. And that is the truth that brings about through repentance, forgiveness of sin, and coming to, into God's family. And that is me, the Redeemer. And then he goes on, he says in verse 42, the Queen of the South shall rise up with a generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because she from the ends of the earth to she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon behold something greater than there it is again Solomon is here Solomon prayed for wisdom from God he got wisdom from God and he taught these truths and she heard about it and wanted to know it and personally know it and she came all the way from that the territory in Arabia south and she came to sit under Solomon and hear the truth and he says something greater than Solomon is here and that is the truth itself Jesus Christ I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through me and so Matthew lets us know that 
some of the ones who knew the, the scripture the most, the scribes and the Pharisees, knew the least about it. Why? Because it was a disposition of the heart. They were not allowing the Spirit of God to deal with them and open their minds and hearts to the truth. They were not allowing God to humble them and for them to come as babes in Christ, admitting that they were sinners. They weren't just interpreters of the law. They weren't just the, uh, the teachers of the law. They were sinners, just like all of us. And then we see the um, Pharisees' condition illustrated. It says in, in verses 43 through 45, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. He's saying, hey, you can sweep it clean and put in all your religion and everything else, but it will still remain empty. It will still remain unoccupied. And if it remains unoccupied with the real truth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then what will happen will be your condition will get worse and worse and worse. More evil will come in. The further you'll get away. To you has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, 11, and 12. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him shall more be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. So they were getting further and further away. And then he illustrates what the kingdom of life is truly like. And he says, while he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. And they told him, your mother and your brothers are seeking to speak with him, uh, with you. And so Jesus uh, goes on. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus is not refusing to speak to his mother and brothers. I mean, they, Mark tells us they came uh, they had heard about him. They, they were thinking that maybe he was insane and all this, perhaps, and something was wrong, and they were wanting to take him away before he got in big trouble. But it, it wasn't that he was trying to refuse them. He's not trying to deny them as brothers and his mother. What he's doing is he's speaking to the multitude. He's seizing the opportunity to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. He's saying to those in the kingdom of God who are brought to faith in him, they're made at that time as brothers and mothers and sisters. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
The invitation was given back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's saying, like he said back then, you're either scattering or gathering. No neutrality. It's either through me or no way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. What a privilege he's given us. What an opportunity. What a blessing to be able to be a part of his family. How do you do it? It's not by works like the Pharisees were trying to build up in some religion that had become their religion. It was and has always been by faith, by God's grace through faith. It's not looking for some sign and some wonder and and maybe getting knocked off a a horse or a donkey or whatever as you're traveling and and meet uh, the Lord through a glorious experience, through a light. It's not in the experience, it's in the person. The experience just comes in different ways and different colors and different forms to all of us. But it's the same person, Jesus Christ, by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest you be boasting like the Pharisees and the scribes. It's by grace through faith. God has provided. Don't be looking for any signs, any wonders. Man, all you've got to do is go outside. See a sunset or sunrise. Man, saw a beautiful rainbow the other week. You know there's a creator. Ah, if there's a creator, how can I know him? Through Jesus Christ. Come to him through Christ. Trust in him by faith. He's provided. Maybe you're here as a believer also, and you know, you've been discouraged because you prayed and you asked for a sign. You asked God to do something. Maybe God didn't do it, or you think that he didn't do it. At least he didn't do it your way. He didn't, maybe he sent a boat, or maybe he sent a helicopter, and he worked in a way that you were not looking for. And it's discouraged you. You've you've become discouraged. You've become down and out. You've become depressed. You don't want to serve him. You see, no need to. He's just not faithful to his word. Look at what happened here. Well, we can't put God in a box to operate the way that we want to. It will destroy the mighty working of God in our lives. We've just got to believe and open our eyes to faith in in Jesus, through Jesus, and watch God at work. Just go.
Just look around. Watch somebody come up to you. And you be praying about something happening. And you're looking for it a certain way. And then somebody comes up to you and just puts their arm around you or talks to you or shares with you. And then they leave. And that was an encouragement. But you're still looking in that way for it to happen. And you miss the main effect of what you were praying for. God works that way. Why in the world? And we're creatures, we do it because of our fallenness and we want to be in charge of everything, we want to know everything. Why in the world sometimes do we think that we've got to have every answer to everything? If you don't believe me, go to seminary and sit in some of the classes. I'm not saying they don't teach the truth. I'm not saying that they're not trying to find the truth, but some of the arguments and disagreements and not going anywhere, and why can't we just come back to that issue and say, hey, we don't know everything about it. God is awesome. God is great. Now, I'm not saying to operate outside the Scripture, no. But I'm saying to operate inside the Scripture. And realize not all things may be revealed to us this side of heaven but one day if we're a child of his they will be revealed to us let's bow our heads in prayer